Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system and I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, Math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey there, welcome to Voices of Your Village. You're listening to episode number 13. Today we get to talk about gender, what what. Yeah, dude, we uh, are diving into the ins and outs, the nitty gritty of gender, and I brought on the amazing Tristan Reese. Uh, You might know him as the trans man who carried a baby last year and birthed a sweet little baby boy, Leo. He kind of blew up all over the news, but he has done work in this field and in in social justice for a while and he is so he's so funny and so easy to talk to I could have sat and chatted for forever with him and he and I went into how to raise children in a world that's different than we grew up in and really giving language and tools in your toolbox to address these questions that you're going to get from kids and to create a space that is safe and inclusive for all. A lot of this feels very foreign because it's not necessarily what we grew up experiencing and uh, we find ourselves having to navigate conversations that we don't have the tools to navigate. Uh, I found myself in this situation a couple months ago and I was in the car with a four-year-old and I got questions that I did my best to answer and all in all, I think it did a fine job, but left it thinking, oh man, I that wasn't perfect and it could have been better and I don't have the tools to make it better. So I also reached out to all of you and got your questions and Tristan and I dove right into all of them. It's not as simple as putting girls in pants and boys in pink shirts. There's so much more that goes into this and we need to be prepared to address this conversation, especially as our kids are growing up and how, how do we do that? So, uh, Tristan was so generously gave us his time to go into this and to answer all of my questions and your questions that you threw at me as well. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass-Campbell. 
Hey there, Tristan. I'm so pumped to have you here today. As a working dad of three kiddos, I know time is precious. Thanks for sharing yours with me today. Of course. Can you start us off with a bit about your backstory? Sure. Um, Well, I guess like the pertinent part of my story um, starts about eight years ago um, when I first met my partner, Biff. Um, at the at the time, I was a twenty-something um, transgender man living in Los Angeles. Um, and when, when I say transgender, for me, that means that I was born female. Um, I had, uh, you know, I was raised as a girl, and then in my adolescence, um, I really started to feel a, a very strong affinity for um, the gay male community. Um, and my joke was sort of like, "Oh, I'm a gay man trapped in a woman's body." Um, and actually, as I got older and older throughout my ad- through, through my adolescence, um, I started to feel more and more disconnected from my, my body and more and more uncomfortable um, and, and unhappy and then eventually um, depressed about this sort of body that I was living in. And then when I was around 20, I guess, uh, I met a transgender man um, and realized that this was actually a thing. There was a name for it um, and that it wasn't a joke at all. I actually was a gay man trapped in a woman's body. Um, and I was able to then seek some help uh, for this, this issue that I was having. And I was able to transition uh, using hormones. Um, I didn't end up having any other like surgical um, or medical procedures beyond hormones. Um, and so I was just sort of living as a gay man, uh, looking a little bit different than other men under my clothes, uh, but that was pretty much the only difference between me and other gay dudes. Um, and I met my partner Biff uh, around that time in LA. And uh, one year into our relationship, we sort of became overnight parents. Um, his, uh, his sister fell upon particularly hard times and we ended up taking care of her kids for a little while. Uh, and then that sort of little while became a long while, um, and she wasn't able to to take them back as their full-time parent. And so um, we adopted them uh, about four years after we started caring for them. Um, and their names are Haley and Riley, and they're seven and ten now. Um, they're our kids, and they're they're awesome, and also, you know, kids, so they're also monsters in some ways. <laughs> Um, and then right after our adoption became legal, um, I approached Biff to ask if he wanted to grow our family, which we had kind of talked about. Um, but what I was proposing, um, was that we actually grow our family biologically and that I stop taking testosterone, um, which causes the body to sort of, uh, kick back into gear ovulation wise. Um, and that I actually get pregnant and carry our child, um, which uh, I knew was totally medically possible. It was safe. Hundreds of people have done it before. Um, it's just not something you hear about very much. Um, and after much uh, discernment, he decided that, uh, sure, that was an adventure he was willing to go on with me. Uh, so that's what we did. And I gave birth to our son, Leo, last year um, in, in July. That's amazing. And I, I'm so grateful that your story became public so that folks who haven't been exposed to this, whether they are also a transgender man or not, are aware that it, it is possible for, for people to do or for oneself to do uh, and to kind of just bring awareness in general. Yeah, and I, I still hear from, you know, we, we did end up telling our story publicly and I still hear from transgender, uh, transgender people, uh, men and women, and people who are genderqueer or gender nonconforming, uh, who message me every day saying, holy crap, I had no idea this was possible. Um, mm. or, 
oh my gosh, um, I haven't been doing a great job of taking my hormones and I am accidentally pregnant. What do I do? Mm. Um, so there's just a huge dearth of information um, on trans pregnancy and trans fertility out there. Um, and I think now is a great time to be having this conversation. Um, as for as hard um, as life can be and is for a lot of trans people right now, the reality is we are safer now than we ever have been in the history of America. Um, and we are living fuller lives than we ever had in the history of America. And more and more trans people want to move from just surviving to thriving. And being able to build your family on your own terms is, I think, part of thriving. As you know, it's like, for me, being a parent um, is one of the things that has brought me the most satisfaction and joy and fullness in my life. Um, and I feel really excited to be in a position to help other trans people find their own paths um, to, to family building. It's amazing. I love it. Well, I reached out originally because I was driving my friend's four-year-old home and I heard from the back seat, why do you have short hair like a boy? Yes, this is great. I love these opportunities to discuss these topics with kiddos. So we dove into it and it got down to him saying, a boy has a penis and a girl has a vagina. Wouldn't it be weird if a boy had a vagina? Oh, yes. You like opened this door for me. This is perfect. I'm going to walk right in. And so we talked about transgender and I explained it as that we often call babies with a penis a boy and babies with a vagina a girl. And then as we get older, you can choose what your body feels like and how you want to identify. But the way that I explained it was still binary. And uh, he asked some clarifying questions. Like as we went on, he asked, could a boy with a vagina have a baby? Could a boy with a vagina make milk? Could a boy with a vagina be Spider-Man? Um, so this is like how All he critical was. questions. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, and his mom had recently had a baby. And so I think these for him were pertinent. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's, you know, clarifying. And of course we need to know what can happen with Spider-Man. And, uh, but at the end of the conversation, I felt pretty good about it was wishing I had had these tools in my toolbox ahead of time. Um, really was like, oh man, this came out of left field. Um, but I left realizing I had still kind of explained this as that gender was binary and I didn't know Mm. how to do that otherwise. So I was like, Tristan. (laughs) Mayday, mayday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, these conversations can happen reactively or proactively. So I think a lot of people are like, how do I start the conversation? And a lot of people are like, holy crap, my kids have questions that I don't know the answers. Um, and either way is like totally an acceptable way to have them. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to start with laying the foundation for these kinds of questions and these kinds of conversations um, with our kids. I think about two things. Um, And the first one you can totally correct me on because I know that you are an expert in early childhood development. Um, But one thing that I have observed and then I believe science um, backs up is that, you know, up until a certain point, kids have a really hard time conceptualizing nuance. Um, And I know I felt like a failure as a parent um, from, I mean, I always feel like a failure as a parent, but that's a different conversation. Um, But (laughs) I felt like I had really messed up um, when both of my kids, as they hit sort of ages four and five, really saw the world in binary terms. That it was like, there are good guys or bad guys. Uh, There are girls, there are boys. There are girl toys, there are boy toys. There is pink and there is blue. I mean, everything was like black and white. And that was uh, terrifying for me. Um, As a queer parent, I'm like, where did I go wrong? You know? 
Um, and even they would come and say like, well, you guys can't be married because you're two boys. Uh, things like that, that I'm just like, what? And luckily, much, much smarter people than me in my life were like, no, 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 that's like totally normal. Um, it's just developmentally what they're able to understand. And so it, it's not that you don't keep encouraging them to see the world in nuance, but you kind of do give yourself a little bit of grace, knowing that just uh, developmentally, just like in their actual brain structure, they just see the world in black and white. And you can encourage them just to start moving along that path and you can speed it up a little bit, but like there's only so much they can understand at any given age and that is totally okay. Uh, would you say that that like is backed up by what you know about childhood development? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like it's nice to kind of hear it in that way. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, to be honest. Um, but there's in my life, right, as an adult, there's so much gray area. <laughs> and yeah, that's right. I want I want to raise them understanding these issues in a way that sometimes they they aren't ready for. I think they just can't, and that's okay. You know what I mean? That's, it's totally okay. And I think that sort of dovetails into the next thing, the next way that I think about laying the groundwork for these conversations um, is just, I feel like when we have tough moments or, or, you know, just like complicated situations with our kids, we, it feels like everything is held in this one moment. And if I mess it up, it's broken and I've failed. And that's just not true. And if you think about every other time, you know, you've had a conversation with your kid and it hasn't gone perfect, if you come back to your kid and you say, hey, do you remember yesterday when you asked that question? I thought about it a little bit more and I think I was wrong. Or I thought about it more and, and, and I have more to say. Or like, do you have any more questions about that? Kids are so okay to keep a door open to have more and evolving questions. They love it when you say, I'm sorry, or I messed up, or I think I was wrong. Like kids love to know that you are fallible <laughs> and that you trust them enough to come back to them and revisit it, that you're not so rigid in like your own perception of yourself is perfect. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of pressure on modern parents to like be perfect. Um, and I think kids really love having a more authentic relationship with you. So I would say like, get rid of this idea that it needs to be, uh, that it needs to be perfect or right every single time. Like you are definitely going to fail. You're definitely going to feel like you messed up. So like, just make peace with that as early as you can in your parenting journey. <laughs> Start to see it as building an authentic relationship with your kid and less as like, I am here to bestow knowledge upon you. Because that, you know, for me, that's going to set you up to fail over and over again, <laughs> over and over again. Oh, absolutely. Well, and like we want them to surpass us, right? So we're not always going to be the one bestowing knowledge on them. <laughs> that's right. And I think, you know, even you know, there's lots of questions that your kids will ask you that will really encourage you to stretch and grow your thinking, um, which is great. And, you know, I think if you live in a place, I think where like you live or like I live in Portland, our kids are being exposed to much smarter and more experienced people than us all the time on these issues of social justice. And so I fully expect my kids to be both challenging me and then surpassing me as early as possible, because I'm really excited to, to learn from them and to grow and, you know, and to grow alongside them and then eventually for them to be my teacher. Absolutely. I love that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. 
The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. So one thing that I have struggled with, it was this idea of like how to approach gender as non-binary, right? I want to expose them to this and I'm wondering like, One of the things that we do is that when we read books or we see people in school, we don't assume gender. So we call everyone a person or people uh, until they have either told us how they identify or um, if like a kid identifies it. Like if we're reading a book and they say, this guy's driving the truck, then we'll kind of go with that. But otherwise, we'll say this person's driving the truck or whatever. And I don't know like how else to go about that. Can you help me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me... I think about it, I don't know, I guess in a couple of ways. Um, I think every parent grapples with and has to kind of find that balance between aspirational parenting and realistic parenting. You know, we definitely want our kids um, to have a vision for what the world could be um, and have an experience of that so that hopefully they can help make that a reality. Um, But at the same time, we don't want to set our kids up Um, to have real unrealistic expectations for the world and not be able to function in the broader world because we don't live in a world that doesn't assume gender. And quite frankly, our brains are not set up to not assume. Our brains are set up to make shortcuts. And so I think, you know, I often train on uh, trans issues. I often train on uh, anti-racism with other white people. And I think lots of times people are like, well, I'm just not going to assume gender. 
cool. Like that's not possible. And only is it not possible because our brains are hardwired that way, but it's also, um, it's also not, um, for me, it's not sustainable. And for me as a trans person, I worked really, really hard to look like like the way you would imagine a man would look. Mm. And if I consistently had people coming up to me saying, well, you know, do you, do you go by he or she or they, you know, I think we can make some assumptions. We can safely make some assumptions based on the many ways that people tell us who they are outside of like a a direct verbal communication. Mm. So I think it's okay um, to step back a tiny bit and talk to your kids not as don't make any assumptions, but but be able to say realistically what's true is most people who are born with a vagina or what we would consider you know largely to be female go on to identify as girls and then grow up to become women and marry men. Like most people do. That's not always true. And here are this many examples when that's not true. But if for me, I'm like a profoundly pragmatic person um, and I really want my kids to be able to like function well um, outside of my bubble because I really want them to have the tools that they need to start to change the world. And for me, part of that skill set is understanding how the world works as it is right now. Um, so, you know, as much as I would want to talk to them about race and say, we're all the same inside and everybody is as smart as everybody else, everybody is as unique as everybody else. The reality is we don't live in a world that sees and values people of color in the same way that it sees and values white people. So Mm -hmm. yes, I want to start with that message of that aspirational thing, but then I want to layer on and everyone is unique and impacted by their race and culture. And isn't that awesome? And we live in a world that actually doesn't value some races and cultures the same way as it values ours. And here's what we can do about it. So Mm -hmm. I think that all of those layers are important. Um, and yes, I know that it's complicated. Um, and yes, I know that I have a lot of experience doing it. So it may seem like I'm throwing a lot out there. Um, but this is just sort of like how I approach it. So that doesn't even touch on your actual question, which is the non-binary stuff. Um, and I think for the non-binary stuff, I would really in simple, simple, simple ways, break down the difference between, um, by, you know, assigned sex or biological sex, what your body looks like. Um, and then what your gender identity is, how you feel, and then what's your gender expression, how you tell the world what you feel, and that, and explain that it is not a this or that, it's a spectrum. And just say that you can feel like a boy or a girl or something in between. And you can uh, present yourself more masculine or more feminine or something in between. And those people who are boys usually go by he, Those people who are girls usually go by she, and those people in the middle sometimes go by they and them. And my kids, I mean, they're seven and 10, they can fluently use gender neutral pronouns um, on a a daily basis with, in regards to our friends, and they have no problems with that because they know that you've got bodies and you've got genders, and then you've got, we call it masculine and feminine, but like sort of gender expression. That's also how we get away from like boy clothes and girl clothes the thing that I've settled on is, is I talk about masculine and feminine clothes. Um, Cause again, we live in a world that does assign, does assign gender to clothes. It's, you know what I mean? We, we do like there is a boy section, there's a girl section. And I have a, a boy child who really, really, really wears masculine clothes. And my girl child is much more like much more um, 
fluid, of fluid in her, I guess, gender expression. She's happy to wear boy or girl clothes, quote unquote, quote unquote. <laughs> Uh, I love that long answer. I think it's amazing. A, it broke it down so simply for me, right? Like, Alyssa, stop making this as complicated as you're making this. (laughs) And Um, yeah, I mean, I also love like how you touched on race there, like as a comparison here, but that we don't live in the world that we necessarily want to live in. So how do we raise humans who can uh, go out and change it in, in a way that's productive? I think it's I'd never had heard it phrased that way though, that like we have to show them what the world is now before they can change it to what we want it to be. And that's hard. It's hard when you have little, little kids because you don't want to tell them so much that they get traumatized. But Mm. at the same time, parents of kids of color don't have the luxury of sheltering their kids from racism. Do you know what I mean? So I wonder like how much white privilege um, factors in when I choose to shield my children from the reality of, uh, you know, a, a 12-year-old black boy getting murdered by the police within seconds of them arriving at the park where he's playing with a, with a toy. You know what I mean? So I grapple with that all the time. And, and I think sometimes I err too far on the side of protecting them. And I think sometimes I err too far on the side of being really honest with them about how scary the world is for kids who do not look like them and how important our role is as white people in changing that world. So I think that I am definitely imperfect, but I strive every day to, to achieve that balance. Um, and I try to be honest with them when, when I feel like, you know, yesterday I, I talked with you guys about some really scary stuff and I know that that was scary. And I think that I may not have, I, I shouldn't have shared that much with you guys and I'm really sorry. Um, and so we, and we just talk about it. And sometimes Haley will say, dad, that's too much. And I'm like, no problem. And sometimes she'll say, dad, you need to be honest with me. You're not telling me the truth. You're not telling me everything. Um, so I lean on them too, to tell me how far I should go. (laughs) It's amazing self-awareness from them. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I have one super self-aware kid. And then I have one kid who needs a lot of um, support from us in identifying what his, what his feelings are and what's going on with him. Yeah, that's awesome that you're aware of that as well. Cheers to you guys. Uh, We're trying. (laughs) Um, So here I had polled my followers and asked if anyone had questions about this. And I got some questions. So I'd like to throw some of them at you. Sure. Uh, So the first one I got was, how old would you let a kid do surgery or even change their gender identity? Yes. Totally. I get this question all the time. I want to throw you a follow-up to that too that maybe oh, yeah. open here was what if they want to switch back down the road? Like, will that make their life harder? Totally. So I'll just talk about the data and the science uh, to start with. Um, so number one, uh, it is legally and medically impossible in the United States of America to have any kind of surgical procedure before the age of 16. So there is no such thing as the sex change for kids. That is like absolutely a right-wing talking point that has literally no basis in scientific, factual, or medical evidence, period, in America, and not in any other country that I've ever heard of. And my father um, is an endocrinologist in in Canada, and he actually works with transgender youth. Um, So I know that in the U.S. and in Canada, it is... Number one, it's borderline impossible to get any kind of surgical procedure before the age of 18 if 
a lot of other things are in place, including parental support, including very, very heightened intelligence and self-awareness from the transgender youth. Maybe very small procedures can happen before the age of 18, like between 16 and 18. But no surgery happens for kids, period, in America. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when it comes to hormones, um, the only thing that happens, again, before the age of 16 and mostly before the age of 18, um, is what we would call hormone blockers. So first of all, nothing happens until puberty starts to set in. So no physical changes are made to any transgender kid, period. So until adolescence starts to kick in, so until a doctor starts to see, oh, there's some growth around, you know, what we would call the, the breast buds or something like that, or there, you know, there starts to be voice dropping or hair development, at that point, with parental consent and support and only if the youth is self-aware enough to be able to explain to the doctor, I know what's happening, I know, you know, what some of the potential side effects or long-term ramifications could be. We're talking about highly self-aware, highly intelligent kids. Um, they are able to put something on, in, like on their underarm that is about the size of a matchstick. It's a tiny, tiny insertion um, that happens. It's just like a little localized procedure. Um, and what it does is it basically tells the body, hey, don't start puberty yet. And that's it. So it prevents what we would call like a natal adolescence. So it prevents the body from producing either the uh, androgen or the testosterone or the estrogen that would, that would, would sort of be that make puberty happen. So at any point in time, from like age 11 or 12, whatever that is, all the way up until 18, that youth in consultation with their uh, mental health provider, medical health provider, and, and parents could say, you know what? I know I thought that I was transgender. I don't think that's the right path for me. Guess what? They take out that little hormone blocker and the body goes right into that natal pubescence and they have like the same puberty that anybody else with their assigned sex would have. If they get to age 16 to 18, they say, yeah, I, I am transgender at that point. Again, with the help of a mental health care provider, uh, a medical provider and their parents' consent, then they're able to undergo hormone therapy to help them go through the puberty that they would have chosen for themselves if they were given their druthers. And what we start to see is the mental health impacts of having to undergo a puberty that is in, out of alignment with your gender identity is huge. And A, there's a lot of transphobia in the world and the impacts of transphobia are horrific. And our own experience of being transgender outside of how the world sees us can be devastating if we have to undergo a puberty that is out of alignment with our gender identity. So what we start to see is some of the negative impacts that happen for people like me who waited until after puberty to transition, we do start to see that between 40 and 50% of transgender people in America today have attempted suicide, not have thought about it, but have taken steps to actually try to end our own lives. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. When you see something like a person, a trans person who does not have to go through a puberty out of alignment with their gender identity, a youth who is able to identify, get parental support and have medical buy-in who doesn't have to do that, those outcomes are drastically different both in terms of their own mental health, in terms of their employability, in terms of the drug use, uh, in terms of incarceration, in terms of homelessness, everything changes over the course of their entire lives. Their whole trajectory changes if they do not have to go through that extremely damaging experience. So we are starting to see incredible trans youth now who are able to identify early on, get parent support, have access to medical and mental health supports to not have to undergo that incredibly uh, painful and damaging uh, natal pubescence. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't be asking like, oh my God, why would we do this to kids in terms of helping them get the support they need to not have to go through their, their, their natal pubescence. We should be saying, oh my God, how are we doing this to trans kids that we are forcing them to undergo a puberty that is going to, in some ways, predestine them to a life that is going to be extraordinarily difficult because of the impacts of having to go through a puberty that, um, that, feels, uh, that feels incredibly painful and damaging for them. Oh, that makes so much sense. Again, so many things I hadn't like thought about in that. <laughs> I know I'm like, that's like a long wordy example. So feel free to edit it however you want. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I, I think it's really, really important to think about and just like switch that mindset. Um, so I think you, the only thing I'll add to that is no trans kid has ever been bullied out of being trans. Mm. No trans kid has ever thought, or no kid has ever thought, I might be transgender, and had their parents say, hell no, not in my house, 
and beat it out of them and then have the kid come out of that experience and be like, you know what? You're right. I'm not trans anymore. Never, ever, ever happen. And the flip side is also true. No trans questioning youth has ever had supportive parents that have basically supported them into being trans. Do you know what I mean? No one has ever gone down the road and been like, oh my God, this was a mistake. God damn it, mom and dad. Why were you so supportive of me? That's never, it's never happened. Right. Yes, it has happened that kids may have a question. Their parents will say, sure, no problem, sweetheart. We will support you. They may have then, you know, undergone a social transition and changed their name and down the road been like, you know what? I am just actually a, a pretty feminine boy. Okay, cool. Guess what? We haven't done any damage. They've never been like, I wish that my parents had never let me live as a girl for that six months when I was seven. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They always said, thank you for supporting me on my journey. This wasn't a mistake. It was a step along the way in a journey. So at what age do you think kids start to like identify with a gender? I mean, it totally depends on the kid. Totally depends on the kid. Um, and I think just, you know, following their lead is right. And, um, I, you know, I didn't know I was trans until I was like 18 years old. Hmm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that is some, that's some people's experience. It doesn't make me any more or less trans than anybody else. And now, of course, we are starting to see at much earlier ages, some people are able to be self-aware enough as people that they're able to identify that early on. And we start to see gender show up around three for some kids, five for others, seven for others. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think knowing that it's possible or knowing what that feels like, right? Like mm-hmm. um, that there's, there's, a, there's a term that goes with this and what you're feeling could be this. <laughs> Sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's not. Sometimes, you know, kids can just say so early on, this is how I'm feeling without any of the other language or access to community or education. Um, and certainly that's happened throughout history before we had what we would consider the, the sort of modern trans community. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so one of the questions that I got that I think is kind of relevant and on people's minds today was a little older. It, this person reached out and said, what about middle school? My kid's school recently said that you can use the bathroom of the gender you identify, but now my middle school boy is peeing at a urinal when people he has known as girls since elementary school are walking in to use the stall. What does this mean for him? How do I support him? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that this is a question that I also get quite a lot, um, this sort of like bathroom issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know... I don't know that there is a like quote unquote right answer, um, except to think about it a little bit differently. So what we know is true is that in bathrooms, the people who are most likely to be targeted, harassed, bullied, beat up, um, are actually the trans person. So not the, you know, either a trans youth um, or a trans adult. Um, Bathrooms and gender specific spaces are really, really scary and dangerous places for us. So I think as much as your instinct is like protecting your own kid, and I get that, that's anthropological. um, I think as much as you're able to shift your thinking and empower both yourself and your kid to not think about like, how can I take care of my son? I guess I don't really understand the negative impacts of your son having to be in a bathroom, not even looking at or be naked next to somebody because there's a wall there in a in a in a stall. Like I don't, I guess I don't understand the threat um, or the danger to your son who happens to be peeing with or hearing someone pee who didn't used to share their same gender. Like that doesn't seem like a scary or threatening thing to me. 
To me, the better question is, how can me and my son show support for these kids who are likely up against some pretty difficult barriers, either in their homes or in their schools or socially with other kids? Um, so I guess I would just think about like, where is the question coming from? What are you actually scared or nervous about? Mm. Um, and are, is your concern um, and your energy um, for protection and support, is it really geared in the right direction? Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think when I read it, I heard it as like, so her, her boy is peeing, so his penis is out, and this person yep. that he has known as a girl his whole life and had this whole idea of as a person mm-hmm. is now in his mind, a different person. How does he, not necessarily that he would be targeted or or, yeah. hurt or abused, but how does he process that? Like, how do we have those conversations? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I've been peeing in men's rooms for 15 years. I have literally never seen another man's penis in a <laughs> men's bathroom. So again, I understand that the kid may be like, ah, this is weird. Um, okay, it's weird. <laughs> but I don't know. Should anybody see your penis in the bathroom? And why is it any weirder if a girl sees it than a boy? No one should see your penis. Do you know what I mean? When you're that age, when you're like age 10, you're just at that place where you're, I think that your private parts are just for you. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I think, yes, totally have a conversation with him. But I think my early answer still stands rather than helping, rather than encouraging him to focus on his own experience. What does it look like to say, I know this is tough for you, bud, and we're going to get through this. And let's have, let's redirect that like um, panic or energy of change towards empathy for somebody else. Like, I know that this is hard for you. How do you think it might feel for this other person to be in a bathroom with you who he's known since he was, you know, living as a girl, how might it feel for them? And what can we do to help them feel more comfortable and more safe. For me, I still think that that is the more, the, the better question as a parent in helping your kid learn. Mm. Um, what does it mean to have empathy and what does it mean to not center yourself in an experience that is challenging for everyone involved? Yeah. So my takeaway from that was like being able to say like, yeah, this feels weird, right? Like kind of talk yeah. about that uncomfortable thing with this kid mm-hmm. and not act like, oh no, this is all fine and you're fine and this is just what it is. Like being able to say that thing that is there for the child, if the child's expressing something to you, being able to talk about that and us as adults and as parents and teachers and educators, being able to have our own literacy here so that we can have these conversations and not shy away. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's actually a great point. And and that's what I train a lot on. I didn't think about it in this context, but I always affirm That's always the first thing I do with people who are saying really problematic, transphobic or racist things with my kids when they say something that, you know, sometimes your kid will say something um, that you find problematic and you have that like intake of breath where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that my offspring said this thing that I perceive as hateful. I always take a deep breath and then I always affirm them. So even if they say something profoundly problematic, I always take that breath and then I say, you know, yeah, I can see how it might seem to you that um, being in the bathroom with a trans kid is really weird. Or yeah, I can see why you might think that only boys and girls are allowed to get married because that is a lot of the things that we see in the world, isn't it? I always start from there. And then so like affirming them or finding like a point of relatability is like always the first step. 
always, always, always. And then I move to asking a question to sort of help clarify. So I wonder, you know, in your home, you see that Dada and I are married. So what do you think our relationship is, if not a marriage? Or so, you know, of course, it seems super awkward. I wonder, you know, what do you think it might feel like for that other kid that's in the bathroom with you? What do you think their experience could be like? So then I go into sort of like a, is it like Socratic? I go into sort of like a, a questioning thing because kids love to be asked questions and to answer them and not to just be lectured at. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think most people do. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I, lo- I think that's a huge takeaway for a lot of folks here is to be able to start with that affirmation and not be afraid of where this conversation might go. Um, even yeah. when I was and in- not be afraid that- go ahead. Well, not be afraid that if you are affirming them, that you're somehow um, reinforcing their idea. I get this a lot. People are like, mm. oh my God, my three-year-old said um, that lady, you know, that lady at the grocery store is so black. And then I'm like, shh, shh, don't say that. Don't say that. Guess what? That lady knows she's black. You know what I mean? There's nothing shameful or wrong about that. And so you affirm it. You're like, yeah, that lady is black. Isn't it amazing that people show up in all kinds of beautiful colors? Or like that lady is fat. Yeah, that lady is a different size than we are. Isn't it awesome how bodies show up in the world in all different ways? Wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? You know, anytime you can affirm what they're saying and then push them to that next step, that's what you want to do instead of being like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. That's wrong. No, that's like instilling some like weird shame. <laughs> that shouldn't be there, I don't think. No, I absolutely agree. I think it comes from our own uncomfortableness of not knowing like, ooh, A, am I going to offend somebody around me? And B, how do I control this conversation so it doesn't go to a place where I'm uncomfortable, especially if I'm already uncomfortable with where we started? That's right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, Awesome. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. I feel like I'm taking away so many things. Uh, So if you could leave parents with, with one thing that they're going to take away here on this topic of gender with our tiny humans, what do you wish every parent could hear? Oh my gosh, I don't know if I have like a universal prescription. <laughs> Come on, solve all of our problems with one thing. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that it would really be like, don't put the pressure on yourself to get it all the way right all the time. Your kid is going to learn and grow and they're going to be developmentally able to learn and understand different things. You're going to learn and grow. Like who knows what next year's news story is going to be if mine was last year's who knows what the next one is going to be that is going to be challenging for you. And you're like, Oh, okay. Now transgender women can get uterine implants and give birth. I have no idea what it is. The next thing is that might be challenging for you. You're going to keep being challenged and you're going to keep learning and growing as well. So I would just say, you know, may have grace with yourself, have, you know, find, find the peace in the journey um, instead of consistently seeking to be right and to be perfect. I love that. Thank you so much. So <laughs> where can people find you, connect with you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my partner is named Biff. And so sort of like our family, like whatever name is Biff and I, B-I-F-F and I. Um, we're on Facebook. Um, I run our Instagram. So there's lots of cute baby pictures there. If you are interested in seeing my beautiful baby, Leo. Um, yes, that's the best way to to stay in touch with us. And I actually do this work. Um, so like I do trans education. I come and I talk to um, businesses. I just 
went to a law school to give a Trans 101 talk to the third year law students at Lewis and Clark Law School. Um, so I do this work, all of these things I didn't just come up with on the spot. Like these are all actual training modules that I, you know, bring to groups of people, um, both formally and informally. I went to a Montessori school, which may be appropriate for your listeners uh, <laughs> in, in Salem, Oregon, just a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I really love doing this work. I love working with groups of people. So please do reach out if you feel like, um, if you feel like there's an opportunity for me to partner with you to move, move the needle along even further. That is amazing. Thank you so much. And I will attest to the fact that the Instagram is adorable. <laughs> Thank you. I do my best. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tristan, for joining us today. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.seedandsow.org podcast. If you love the show, take two minutes to leave a review and spread the love. Thanks for joining our village. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.